Hey, what's going on, everyone? Welcome to another episode of the Unscripted Podcast, man. I got a special guest in the house, man. And before we even start, I gotta, I gotta say, this man showed me love from the jump. You know what I'm saying? He always put me on game. He always showed me the in and outs. And he always kept it real with me when it came to, you know, how the business aspect of sports world, man. I got today with me the homie Edwin Jackson. What's going on, man? My boy, how you living, man? It's a pleasure to be on here with you, man. Oh, man, I, I always enjoy chopping up with you, man. I see, you know, it's quarantine season, the fro coming out, the beard coming man. in. Struggle beard, struggle beard, but hey, it's, it's tough times. We got to keep a tough look for the tough times, man. And when everything clear up, then I'm going to go and clear up with it. <laughs> man, you got an interesting story, bro. Like, you know, I know a bit about you, but I, the stuff that I want to discuss in person right now, man, is, you know, I want to talk about what growing up was like for you. And I want to start there because from what I understand, you moved around quite a bit. Right. Uh, growing up a military brat, uh, <laughs> born in Germany, born in uh, New Orleans, Germany, um, young age, came back to the States, uh, Fort Polk, Louisiana. Then I went back to Germany for a second stint. And, um, and I was in a remote site called Kaiser. You probably can barely find it on the map, man. Uh, I mean, a little military community mixed in with the Turkish community, mixed in with the German community. So it was like a, it was like a little spaghetti triangle right there. Um, so I mean, I, I had a chance to grow up with a lot of diversity. You know, I got a, I got a chance to grow up seeing a lot of different things. Pretty much, the life on an airplane, man, that's all I know. You know, being able to pack up a bag and move, make new friends, um, having to be personable, and you know, not being able to be comfortable with being uncomfortable. Mm. You know, in a lot of different situations. Man, so so let me ask you this, man. How did you find like how did you find stability? Because growing up in a military home, you gotta move at the drop of a hat, you know. So how did you how did you how did you find stability in that alone? Um, I figured for me, man, uh, it came within the family. You know, we had a very strong, tight knit family. So that always made the transitions easier when we move into different places. And um, you know, we Grew up a military family, but it wasn't very strict. Uh, you know, my mom cooked dinner. She'd call everybody, hey, the food ready. Y'all better come eat. It's good, good cold. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't super strict, but the rules that she did apply that we had to abide by. You know, she didn't play with them as far as manners and, you know, saying yes, ma'am, no, ma'am. Sometimes we had to, sometimes we didn't. But when we met, when we talked to other people, you know, we had to say yes, ma'am, and no, ma'am. She didn't really care what we did at home but once we step outside the confines of our house you know she wanted us to be right on top of everything you know so in the eyes of everyone else you know we were super respectable but uh i think a lot of the stability came from um just being able to adapt to situations uh, mm. that was real big for me um being able to, to go to a different situation being a new person um sit back and chill for a little bit and, and observe the scenery and see what's going on and being able to, you know, kind of maneuver my way around and, and dibble to dabble without necessarily being obnoxious, but not being a hermit at the same time. So, you know, just kind of being in, in, in between an introvert and extrovert, you know, kind of finding a happy medium wherever I was. Man, so then, you know, you finally came and got some, you know, like solid ground in America. Um, what did that look like for you, man? Like, were you nervous as the fact, like, man, should I really put my foot down here? Or are we going to move again in a couple of weeks, a couple of months? Like, what was that like for you? Oh, man, as a kid, you just kind of, you kind of grabbing life by the horns and just riding with it, man. Um, we came back from Germany in 1991. 
um, to Fort Benning. And that's pretty much where I spent the majority of my childhood. So when people ask me where I'm from, you know, I claim Columbus, Georgia, just because <laughs> that's, where I'm from. that's where I've been the longest. Um, yeah. 1991 until 2001, I was in Columbus. So um, that's, that's pretty much where a lot of my up- upbringing is in my early childhood comes from and, and growing up. But um, I mean, the, the community that I, was, that I was in, it was, it was, man, it was a mix of everything. So I think that's the benefit that I had of being a military brat. I didn't see all of one culture. You mm. know, it wasn't all black, it wasn't all white, it wasn't all this, it was, a, it was a melting pot of everything. You know, so I got a chance to experience a lot as a young kid and see a lot of different, you know, a lot of different cultures. Uh, I was just talking to one of my boys the other day, he was Puerto Rican, or he's Puerto Rican. I know every time his mom used to cook chuletas and rice and beans, I was like, "Ma, I ain't eating over here. I'm going across the street to eat, yeah. you know? So I got a chance to experience different foods and, you know what I'm saying? Um, I think it helped me for who I am today, man, just being able to, be able to um, absorb a lot of different cultures and being comfortable with, you know, being in a place where I'm a little different or I'm, I'm the only one that's not necessarily from, from wherever I am. It's crazy, man, because, you know, when you think about the foundation of where you started, bro, like it really, it really puts things into perspective about kind of how your professional career kind of went and how it's going right now, right? But, man, I want to start, like, how did you get involved in baseball? And when you got involved in it, like, did you like it right away? Because I'm going to keep it a buck, man. When I, when I started got introduced to track and field, bro, I didn't want to run, bro. That's that's like that's like every sports punishment. So I was like, man, I'm not trying to do this. But what right. what was that like for you? Like like how 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 did you like did something inside say, man, this might be a pathway for me? You know what? That's interesting, man. Because when I came back from Germany, um, playing at the YMCA, where we call it the youth center, um, yeah. on the base, football was the first sport that I played coming coming from overseas. Uh, when I came back, it was in football season. So football was the first organized sport that I was introduced to. Um, I mean, we would play backyard sports, so we played a little bit of everything. But in Germany, it was a lot of soccer. You know, it was a lot of different different sports than um, American sports. So when I came here, um, football season was in. So I was like, all right, cool. I'm going to play football. Mm-hmm. Um, football came, then basketball came, then baseball. So baseball was the last, baseball was the last sport that I played coming up, organized sports in. I pretty much played all of them until eighth grade. And then I went to football and baseball. And then ninth grade, I went to football and baseball. In 10th grade, it went strictly baseball. And how it happened, I really don't know, because a lot of people <laughs> thought I was going to play basketball, man. I come from a sports family. Um, my dad played basketball and baseball. He's pretty good at both. But yeah. I know a lot of a lot of the hooting and hollering out here is from him in basketball. Like, man, your pops was cold in basketball. And, whatnot uh, my mom played softball um but so both parents athletic you know so we had a lot of athleticism and a lot of competition within the house yeah and somehow they went to baseball man um I'm not sure exactly how it went I mean I feel like I was decent at all all the sports I played um and somehow I stick out I stood out in baseball um came, mm come stood out um, excelling, excelling, excelling. So I stayed with it. I, I wasn't very big for football. I mean, I was five, <laughs> five, ten, a buck eighty-five in yeah, high school. Yeah. Like, so I wasn't super big. Um, but um, 
baseball, it, it, I started leaning towards baseball and I wrote it. And I mean, I didn't know I was getting drafted. I had no clue. I was just trying to get to school, man. I Honestly, I was just trying to go somewhere where I could get college paid for just to get an education. And uh, it ended up happening. But uh, two of my friends, Nick Long and Steven Register, they were getting scouted. So they were heavily scouted. And uh, I ended up making myself stick out for them, you know, from scouts coming to look at them. And, you know, I kind of made myself shine and allow myself to be seen. Man, so so when you say you allowed yourself, allowed yourself to be seen, obviously, you know, did, this didn't just happen by flu. You know what I'm saying? Like, there must have been something that you knew. It was like, man, I may have something here. Was there, a, was, there, was there a point in your high school career, maybe in the 12th grade, where you were just like, man, you know, like, I'm kind of nice here. You know what I'm saying? Like, I might, I might be able to do something here. Was there a moment that, that trickled down for you? Was it when people were saying, man, you know, EJ, hey, you could do this, you could do that. What was that moment for you? You know what, that's funny, man, because, I mean, coming up, I was always on the all-star teams. Uh, I feel like younger, I was always wanted on the teams. And I actually, for high school, I didn't start until my senior year. <laughs> so yeah. I came up with shortstop. Um, then my 11th grade year, I was bouncing around. I'll go from short to third to second. So I was pretty much a utility player. Like, Coach, put me wherever you want to put me. I just want to play. And my 12th grade year, I moved to the outfield predominantly. And I was in center field. And I mean, I've always had, I've always had the talent. I've always had the skills. Um, all I needed was the chance, you know? Mm. So it wasn't one of those situations where people were like, oh, he just came out of nowhere. But I just had a 12th grade allowed me to be able to be comfortable, not knowing that, you know, my job is secure and it allowed me to excel. And I mean, that's where all the accolades came all state, all by city. Player of the year. Um, I think I led the city in home runs that year. Led the um, led um, helped lead us to you know a, a championship for our school. So that year, man, it was like you said, it wasn't by fluke, it wasn't by accident. It was meant to be, and you know I had that one year to blossom, and I bloomed. <laughs> man, so you know you're talking about you know you just want to get to college and. I relate to that a lot because, man, I, I just wanted to get my school paid for. I didn't, I didn't care what it looked like. I don't care. I just knew I needed to get this done. Nice. Uh, but you didn't, you know, some things happen, and you didn't take that route. Right. So uh, because if, if, like, what, what, what changed your mindset in that aspect of it? Man, that was, that was an interesting one because I weighed on it. Like I said, I didn't even know I was getting drafted um, once I once I committed to a school, um, where'd you commit to? I was going to UAB, okay. University of Alabama, Birmingham. Um, it's in Birmingham, and I wanted to do pre med, <laughs> so okay. that, that kind of helped in my choice, man. Now, had I went to school, it probably would have changed because I don't know if I would have been able to do that major. <laughs> I don't know if I would have been able to major pre med and then also play sports at the same time, but I, I don't know where I would have been able to juggle that at. But uh, I had no clubs getting drafted. So I was going to play basketball and my mom answered the phone. She's like, you got a call. I was like, well, tell him I call her back. I'm about to go hoop. He's <laughs> like, nah, you got to take this call. It's somebody from the Dodgers. I'm like, from the Dodgers? I'm like, all right. So I get on the phone and uh, Lon Joyce, uh, Lon Joyce, the scout who um, signed me, he's on the phone and he's like, yeah, you know, how you doing, Edwin Jackson? Uh, this is Lon Joyce with the Dodgers. Just wanted to let you know you've been selected in the sixth round you know, by the Dodgers. And I'm like, oh, man. I'm like, all right. But 
I'm still in my mind, it still ain't really set in yet. You know, I hear the call just because it was unexpected. You know, I feel like when you're expecting it, the tension is building up. You're like, okay, it's yeah. just a matter of who when. Would have been so unexpectedly. Um, I didn't really have time to be shocked, you know, or anything. Um, so I'm pretty even killed. So I talked to him and weighed my decisions. And I was like, man, listen, I can go to college. I can get an education. Or I can get a jump start on a career that there's been a dream and still have my education paid for. Mm. If baseball don't work out, then I can still go back to school. Um, so I was like, um, I pondered on it for a while, and my parents pretty much was like, hey, you have to make this decision. You know, this, this is a decision you have to make. So I was like, man, I'm going. <laughs> I'm going yeah. for it. You know, I'm going for it. I'm going to go start my dream. And, man, it's paid off 18 seasons later, 20 years later. Um, here I am, you know, still trucking. Man, it's crazy you said all that, man, because, you know, when I go and I talk to kids, different sports, sports teams, sports schools, man, you know, one of the questions they always ask is, you know, how do you weigh those decisions? And, you know, do you listen to your own voice? Because you're hearing from so many different things. But it seemed like, you know, your family was so tight knit. They said, look, you got to make a decision yourself. They didn't put any pressure on you because you was what, like, what, like 18, 17, 18, 19 years old? 17. Man, that's crazy, man. So, so. In 2001, you got drafted to L.A. What, what was the first year like for you, man? Like, you know, what, what, I always hear stories about uh, the rookie comes in and, you know, if you're a vet, you don't want a rookie to take your spot. You know right. what I'm saying? But there are some that look out for you. Like, what was that first year kind of like for you as far as, you know, getting to the big leagues? You know, now your routine has changed. And now, man, you know, there's a big difference. I tell people all the time, there's a big difference between, you know, being in, uh, being an athlete and being a professional athlete, you know what I'm saying? So what, what did that first year kind of look like for you? The first year for me, I think the biggest difference was um, the strength and conditioning. Uh, I mean, because in high school, we go down, I mean, we have PE, weightlifting classes. We playing around. We kids, you know what I'm saying? We have three reps. We might do one and a half reps when the coach ain't looking. We have a set of 10. We might do a set of six or seven, and we get up off there, you know what I'm saying? Because, I mean, nobody really paid attention to the body. You know, we didn't really care about the body. We just wanted to go play. Yeah. And um, that first year going into pro ball, just listening to the strength and conditioning coaching and the programs that they have you on, I'm like, all right. Like, okay, cool. Like, so – this is the this is the start to manhood, you know, mm. in a professional sport. Because I mean, high school, you, you kids, when yeah. you get professional, you start you starting the evolution of becoming a man in whatever yeah. sport you plan. Especially in it's the minor league, so you have two hundred people that I feel like where everybody was the best of the best, you know. So it's not you coming in, you're not coming in with an ego. Um, I'm looking at dudes who got more money than me. I'm looking at dudes first rounders, and I'm like, all right, cool. So everybody's the best of the best let's let's go you know so i've never been afraid of a challenge so i think i came back home i gained i grew about an inch and i probably put on about 10 pounds so when i came back home everybody like man what you been on you know what i'm saying it's just just goes to show you about the body and, and taking care of the body how big it was the, the stuff we never paid attention to how important and how vital it is to you know stand healthy and stand on the field Man, because you play a whole lot of games, bro. And I remember you and I were talking uh, one time in Phoenix, and I was just like, man, like, how, how do you play 160-plus games plus playoffs? I was like, what, what, 
that must have been different in the beginning too because in high school you don't really you're not paying that much games man like what was the mental aspect of that look like for you the crazy thing is man like you go you get drafted you might go to the minor leagues i mean most systems have five to seven levels of baseball maybe before you get to the to the big leagues um, oh wow i didn't know that it's, it's, it's a it's a grind now i feel like nowadays it's a lot faster than it was when i was coming up um, mm-hmm. but now you see guys coming up a lot faster but like when i came up uh 2003 when i made my debut i was 19 i just had turned 20 that day jeez so, man these dudes on the team who coming where the average age is probably 28 29 you know i'm coming i'm coming on the team dudes on the team like man i got kids your age <laughs> you, got, you got dudes with 10 years you probably have seven people seven eight people with 10 years and on the team yeah. i'm coming in i'm just a kid you know i'm head down speak when spoken to you know try not to bring too much attention on myself but um the transition from the minor leagues to the major leagues is, is night and day man i mean minor leagues you may have 60 something games, 70 something games to 80 something games. And then you go to a major league season where it's 162, where people trying to identify how their bodies are breaking down. You're trying to feel it, but uh, it's a grind, man. It's a grind. Um, the rest, the eating right, the um, preparation of keeping your body right, a lot of things that as a kid we don't pay attention to. Um, this imperative once you get to the next stage, you know, it's. it's it's vital that you pay attention to your body and, and no one is going to understand your body like you do. So it's, about, it's just about being able to understand your body and listen to what your body is telling you. You know, if you have work out that day, okay, maybe take it back in the next day. I can wrap it up and make up what I didn't do yesterday and still be able to get all my workload in for the week. Um, and just have to just being blessed, man. I mean, I don't feel like I work any harder than anyone. I don't feel like I'm in a gym trying to outwork anyone, but obviously I do my work. I work hard. Mm-hmm. Um, but I feel like it's a combination of the work that I put in and a lot of it is man upstairs, man, just being blessed and, and having a body build it that can sustain a season like that. Man, when you came into the league, right, and you know, you're there now for a couple of years, man, you know, uh, what, what was I'm always interested to hear, man. Was is there a lot of tr- was there a lot of trash talking going on? And like, who was who who was someone that you looked up to that when you got to the league, you're just like, okay, yeah. Man, it is it is some trash talk. It's the thing about baseball, man. It's it's not as face to face as basketball or football. You know, basketball, football, you face to face with dudes and you talking the whole game. Uh, <laughs> yeah. As a kid, we grew up like that. We grew up talking the whole game, and that's what made you better. It yeah. separated the weak from the strong because either the trash talking was going to make you elevate your game or it was going to make you drop. Either you're going to sink or you're going to swim, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and I feel like for me, someone telling me what I can't do and someone talking trash always elevated my game. It always mm-hmm. made me be like, okay, you going to tell me what I can't do? Watch. Watch. Yeah. Just like my, my grandma used to say, don't wake a sleeping dog. You know, let <laughs> Once you wake a sleeping dog, now the dog is ready to go. Dog is um, ready, yeah. And and we had some trash talking, especially back in, in those days. And I feel like the game was a little different. It was a lot of trash talking, actually. You hear the people chirping from the dugouts, uh, people ready to fight a lot quicker. And um, when I came up, Eric Gagne took me under his wings. Um, he was the man in L.A. I mean, he, he was 
when he was the dude, when as soon as he get, get they call his name in the bullpen, before they even stand up, everybody running over to watch him just to go throw, warm up to come in the game. Um, I mean, the things he was doing were, were incredible. And uh, he took me under his, his wings and showed me the ropes and showed me the way, you know, how to be a professional and what and what not to do in a game and come to the field early and don't say nothing, just chill. And, you know, stay under the radar, you know, but that don't mean you have to be a hermit. Just stay even killed. I, mean, I think that's great advice, man, because, you know, as, a, as, as young athletes listening to this, especially in different professions, different fields, you know, the one thing that you want to do is you want to go and make a name for yourself right away. You know right. what I'm saying? But I think, I think from the way that you grew up and the way that um, you were raised, you know, you just said, you know, you were ready to be adaptable and you took advice from, you know, from Big Dog who've been doing it way longer than you. Right. Um, but to this point, as your as your career went on, man, you were able to do some 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 things that not a lot of people are able to do. I want to talk about 2009, 2010, 2011 because those, you know, in basketball they have the three P. You know, what I'm saying, you know, you win. To me, that was kind of a three P for you in different ways, right? Because in 2009, 2010, 2011, you became an All Star. You threw a no hitter. You won a World Series. Like, not a lot of people are able to say they do that. Um, what do you remember most about those years? And tell me what was going through your mind during the, during the no-hitter, man, because literally I get a lot of young athletes, baseball players asking me, man, you know, um, I, I wonder what that's like. I wonder what that feels like. And you've done it. So walk me a little bit about that, man. All right. Um... 2009, 2010, 2011, I think a lot of it, my 2009 season started, it stemmed from 2008. I was just starting to uh, make that transition into evolving into a pitcher instead of a thrower. Um, I was starting to find out who I really am and what I really can do in a game of baseball. Um, confidence was at an all-time high, and that has a lot to do with it. Because you can have all the ability in the world. If you don't have the confidence to go with the ability, then, you know, like I know, it won't matter what, mm -hmm. what ability you have if, if the confidence is not, is not driving the ability. And um, I think 2009, coming, coming from, we just went to World Series in 2008 in the AL East with the lowest paid team <laughs> in the division. Um, average age 25, and we beat the Yankees. We beat Boston you know, to go on to a World Series, to which we end up losing to Philly. And to go into 2009 to a Detroit team, you know, that has some pretty good players. You got Miguel Cabrera, you had Justin Verlander, um, Rick Porcello was a rookie, uh, Curtis Granderson, you had Brian Nange, you had Duntrell, Woodlands there. So, I mean, yeah, we, had some, man. We, had nice, we had a nice squad in Detroit. And uh, to come fit in with that group of, that group of players, and also know that I'm, I'm somewhat at home because I have a lot of family in Detroit. So I thought it was a perfect storm. It was a perfect storm for me going into coming from 2008, you know, where I can continue to um, succeed and trend forward and trend in the right place with uh, success. And then you end up being an all-star, you know? Mm -hmm. It's crazy how quick things happen in the game. And um, go to 2000, finish 2009, with a, with a great year, we end up missing the playoffs by one game and a crazy, probably one of the craziest one-game playoffs I've been in um, where we end up losing to Minnesota. So the next year I signed with Arizona. And I start off, I start off slow. Um, 
it started off slow in Arizona. It was kind of a struggle. The teams we beat in, um, we weren't really trying to win, but um, you still just try to make the best of the situation. You try to keep your mind strong and uh, end up throwing a no-hitter and against Tampa Bay, against an old team. <laughs> yeah. That's what, made, that's what made it more crazy. Uh, 149 pitches. Which is 149? Probably, Holy. Probably the most pitches to date in a no-hitter. Probably in today, um, especially in the no hitter. But man, eight walks. <laughs> so were you were you were you consciously aware of what was happening? I didn't know. I had so many walks because the game started off so erratic. I didn't know that I had a no hitter going into like the seventh inning, and everybody because oh. everybody was so so bent out on a pitch count and the walks in the game. I mean, we ended up winning one nothing and. Seventh inning, I knew it was a no-hitter. Um, probably the most unorthodox no-hitter <laughs> it is because, you know, normally the superstition is don't talk to the pitcher during a no-hitter, but I talked the whole game. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I was talking to people the whole game, and uh, I remember taking the mound of ninth inning, and I just said to myself, you know what? If it's going to be, if it's meant to be, it's going to happen. And those were my exact words. If it's meant to be, it'll happen. Mm-hmm. Let's go. So I didn't put any other pressure on myself. Um, I just left it in the hands of, of destiny. If it was destined to be, then I was going to throw it um, and got out of it, man. And to this day, it's one thing um, they can't take it away. It's, it's, a, it's a no-hitter in yeah. that fashion. Then um, going to St. Louis in 2011, well, actually, I went. To, I got tripped in the middle of the season to the Chicago White Sox. And then from the White Sox, I went to um, St. Louis in the middle of the season. And numerically we weren't even supposed to be in the playoffs in St. Louis. We ended up putting together a crazy run and um, getting to the World Series and playing Texas in a in a battle, in a battle. Um, I mean they had us down going into game six. They needed they needed game six to win and we're mm-hmm. going home and uh, David Freeze hit a two out three I want to say three two count two out, hit a ball to right field, uh, triple. And we tie the game and we come back, they get a run, we tie it again and we end up winning that game. And after that, man, we went into game seven knowing we're gonna win the World Series. Uh, we had deflated Texas and lo and behold, we came out, and we won that game, won the World Series and last man standing on the field, man, that's what we played for. You can't, you can't imagine that. What'd that feel like, man? Like your first man, initial thought? You know what? It's pandemonium. Pandemonium mm. mixed with excitement, mixed with <laughs> it's like you turn into a little kid again. Um, that, that's that's the best feeling, man. The, the smiles on everyone's faces is is what the game is really about because everyone had that little kid moment. I mean, you have dudes out there crying, dudes who's been playing. Raphael Fakal, who I grew up watching with the Braves, been to the playoffs numerous times, never been to a World Series, and he wins a World Series. You got guys out there crying and. I mean, it brings out the joy and it brings out the little kid and everyone when you win that World Series just to screaming and the throwing the gloves in the air. It's like the Little League World Series. <laughs> yeah. Throw the gloves in the air. I mean, that, that's the best way to describe it, man. It's like, it's so surreal. It's like um, being a little kid on the field again, man, and having the world watch you be the last man standing on the field. Man, you know, I always, you know, people always ask me, you know, what did it feel like the, the week or the two weeks after you know, when I got the medal, you know, what was that like? So what, 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 
man, after you undressed, you got ready, man. Who who was the first call, man? Who 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 was the last call? Man, congrats on that medal too. Yeah, they don't know you a beast over there. They don't know young bull over there. <laughs> I appreciate you, bro. <laughs> yeah, uh, man, I man the texts and calls. They were coming. They were coming. So um, I kind of weeded through, talked to the family, talked to the um, well, my parents were there. Um, so I had the immediate family right there with me. So I didn't have to really make any calls. But uh, calling cousins, you calling friends, you got group text. So we're on a group text with all the friends and family. You know, everyone saying congrats. Um, the, you have the scouts calling that drafted you. Man, that's a lot of calls. But that feeling right there, boy, oof. That's, that's what you. That's what you put all the preparation. That's what we put all the blood, sweat, and tears that we train for. You know, we put it in, in perspective for those moments like that. You know, there's a lot of sacrifices that you had to make, man. You know, you got to sacrifice time. Um, you got to sacrifice, you know, your body sometimes. And so, when you reach the pinnacle, it it, it feels that much better. But, you know, I think. I think sometimes uh, people who aren't in the athletic field kind of forget the human aspect of it, right? Because when you reach this pinnacle and you get this title and you have the accolades, you're just like, man, you know, what kind of what next? And when you got the World Series, you threw a no-hitter the year before, you became an all-star. Man, now there's a lot of pressure on Edwin Jackson. You know what I'm saying? So, like, how do you handle, how do you handle when life you know, hits you and you got to play these games and you know you don't feel like being there? How you handle when the media is telling you one thing and they're just, you know, coming at you? Like, how do you keep your composure and focus on the game? I think the biggest thing um, that helped me was coming up at a young age in a market like L.A., where the media is tough. It's a real city, um, big market city, um, keeping composure being a professional, you know, those are things you have to understand. Once you get to a certain level, those are things that comes with the job. Like that comes, that's a part of the job, being a professional, talking to people when you don't want to talk. Um, answering the questions after you had a bad game, you know, that you don't want to answer. That's part of being, that's part of being accountable. Mm -hmm. You know, I feel like a lot of people not accountable. Uh, I've never been one to run away from adversity. You know, um, we play a game that, Failure is <laughs> failure is greatness. You hit you get as a batter, you hit three out of ten balls and you succeed. But three out of ten, you don't feel like you're failing. Um, yeah. We play a game where I mean you are going to fail, and I feel like the quicker people can realize that and not run from adversity and be accountable and you face it, face man up. A lot of people have to man up. Um, it's easy to point the finger at someone, but. I feel like once you understand, once you take on a, that title as a professional, then you take on everything that comes with it, you know, and I have to stress that every day to a lot of people in the game that, you know, you're not going to always hear everything you don't want to hear. You're not going to always yeah. have to answer the questions that you want to answer. It's going to be a lot of stuff that you don't want to deal with, but hey, that's what you're a professional for. If you don't like it, then don't be a professional. You know, that's what happens when you're at we have to realize we're at the top level of anything. We have the highest level you can get. Yeah. <laughs> it comes with it. Man, at, at this point in your career, because you're still kicking, you're still moving, you're still grooving, you know what I'm saying? And, you know, sometimes society will say, look, man, you know, you reach this age or you've done this, and they kind of put you inside of a box without even knowing what your day-to-day -day is like, you know? 
at this stage in your career, man, what, what are you trying to prove to yourself? You know, what's, what's, what's motivating you to continue to get back up after you don't got nothing to prove, man. Like, like you've done it, you've done it all. Nothing to prove, man. Uh, this is this is straight for the love, man. You know, I tell my wife, she asks me every day, how long are you going to play? <laughs> but you know what? I don't really have an answer to it. Um, my body will tell me, my mind will tell me when it starts feeling like a job and it, and it stops feeling like fun, then, you know, I'll hang it up. But as long as I can keep people guessing my age sometimes here and there, then I'll continue to play, man. Uh, not really out trying to prove anything to anyone. Uh, I just want to stop on my own terms, you know? I just want to stop when my body tells me, okay, it's time to hang it up. And yeah. right now, I still love to compete, man. It's, it's someone you say, okay, we facing Mike Trout, are we facing, you know, Anthony Rendon, are we facing Justin Upton, are we facing Miguel Cabrera, the top hitters in the game? It's like, all right, you want that challenge. You know, you, you want that challenge. That's, and if you don't want it, then, you're probably not going to last too long, but it, like you said, you want to you wanna run against the fastest in the world. You want yeah. to. That's what you want. You know what I'm saying? And everybody's chasing the fastest in the world. So to be the best, you got to want to battle against the best head up. You can't run from them. Man, tell me, tell me, we're coming on the last couple of questions here, man. Tell me what's one of your favorite moments um, when you were in the league, man. Like one of those stories that, you know, always sticks with you, whether it was a good thing or whether it was a bad thing. <laughs> You know, tell me one of those, man. I I had a player that I played with when I was in L.A. um, And this is when I was young. And I was like, dang, this is what the league is like. (laughs) And this was back in the day. So it was a different era of baseball. Um, Middle of the game, sitting on the bench. And we're in uh, San Francisco. And he looked at me like, I'll be back, young buck. You know, and I'm like, all right, we're talking, we're talking baseball. I come back. We leave for about... 10 minutes, come back, 10 grand in his pocket. A wad. I'm like, what? Yeah. I don't know what he, I'm, <laughs> he want to sign something. Maybe he signed something for someone that got it. But I'm like, this dude, I think he signed something, either a bat or a ball for someone. I'm like, man, I'm like, at the time, this is the most money I ever seen in yeah. one, one time cash. And I'm like, man, this is the league middle of the game. You can just go sign something and come back with 10 grand in your pocket. And I'm like, dang. That's <laughs> so I mean, wild. I'm fresh 20. I'm fresh 20. I'm like, middle of the game. He just went and signed something and got 10 racks. I'm like, man, I was blown. <laughs> I was blown. That's, cra- that's crazy. <laughs> I think at the moment was uh, facing Barry Bonds. Facing, yeah. facing Barry Bonds my first year. Uh, I mean, that was the man, the myth, the legend. That's Barry Bonds. Uh, getting a chance to face him. That was one. That's one for the record books. That, you know, Tell me about that, man. What was that like, man? Because, man, you, hey, when I, when I started hearing about baseball, man, I was one of the guys I started hearing about. And, it seemed, and the more that I was watching, it seems like every pitcher who was pitching at, at, at double B is getting, is, getting, is getting hit out the park. Were they walking him or are they are he, he hitting a home run? Uh, was, was, there, was there a presence about him, man? Oh, man, he right up on a plate. The night before, I just seen him hit 99 inside out the park. I'm like, man, that was 99, and he just hit that like it was 80. I'm like, man, all right. So he go um, facing him. At this point, that was still early, so I didn't really have time to be nervous because everything's still moving so fast. But uh, I was like, what I got to lose? Mm-hmm. I got nothing to lose. Worst case, he hit a home run, and he's supposed to. You know what I'm saying? So uh, the first they beat. I think I hit him. I got two strikes on him, and I hit him in that arm guard where 
So he got out on first. The second AB, they uh, put an intentional walk. And the third time out, the third AB, I struck him out. But, uh, and next day he came out and gave me an absolute, you know, <laughs> saying like, hey, I appreciate you coming at me. But I was coming at him. I was coming at him. I think he missed it on purpose, too, because it was right down at him. <laughs> I have it. I'm like, man, you missed that on purpose. You probably don't remember that AB, but I think you missed it on purpose just because I was coming at him. Yeah. I wasn't running from that's what I'm talking about, bro, man. We could talk about these stories all day, man. Yeah, it was a beast in the box, though. Oof. Right up on the plate, too. Like, I dare you to throw it inside. Yeah. Man, we could talk about this all day, man. I want to get into these last two questions, man. You know, it's just fun questions, man. You, um, you know, you're at home right now with the kids. Uh, the wife is there, man. What's a, what's, a, what's a snack EJ has to have at the crib? Man, the snack. Mm, that's a good question. Right now, right now we've been running through trail mix. <laughs> I'm not sure how I've been feel, I feel like day day it changes, but right now it's been trail mix, man. Uh, especially not being able to go to the gym like I want to. I want to snack on something every day, so I'm like, I need to find a healthy snack, something healthy that I can just run through every day and don't not worry about loading up, getting big. But, yeah. uh, right now. Any other time, I use cinnamon roll or something like that, but can't hit that gym like you want to. So I've been running through some trail mix. See, that's the that's the that's the professionalism, even in quarantine. That's what I'm talking about, man. It's hard. It's tough, um, man. You know. So last question, man. You know, you've you've like I said, bro. I got so much respect for you because of how you go about your life. Like, you know, when I ask people. Or even when I watch interviews, man, people, I, I've never met someone who has something bad to say about, you know, Edwin Jackson. It's always, it's, it's always on some love. And, you know, you're a person that, you know, your kids may not see it right now, but as they get older, they'll, they'll be like, man, like, you know, because sometimes when you don't, when you see someone over and over again, you don't really know what's in front of you. Yeah. Um, but throughout your whole career, everything you've been able to build, everything that you stand for, man, what? If there was one word to describe you, what would that one word be? If one word to describe me, respectable. Man, that's that's spot on. Hey, that, <laughs> hey, that's spot on. Man, I appreciate you taking the time, bro. Like, man, you're one dude that I said, well, you know, I wanted to make sure that I get on the podcast, man, because you not only have been able to accomplish a bunch of great things, man, but you are who you say you are. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't want to have anybody on here who aren't, you know, themselves. Or right. you, you've never put on a show with me. It's always been love. You always told me straight up and you never shy away from any question that I have or conversation, man. But, um, you know, where can people, where can people find you, man? Where can people keep up with you, man? Man, you can find me uh, if you want to go to Twitter. It's um, ejack 36 I'm pretty sure. Um, Instagram at ejack36, E-J-A-C-K-36. Well, Twitter is just Edwin Jackson. Um, Twitter, you can just type in Edwin Jackson. It should be only one with a, with a blue check. I got a couple of fake accounts out there. Um, <laughs> <laughs> a couple of fake accounts. But uh, I know that the IG is at, uh, at ejack36. And you can find me, man. And you always know it's all love, man. I love coming on here talking with you, man. The respect is mutual that we have for each other, man. You know, we'd have some long days talking in the gym. And obviously, we do different sports, but the, the, the athleticism and the way we compete is all at the same level, man. So, you know, that, that respect 
like you say, respect is given and is get and is and is received as well. You know, you earn all my respect, bro. It's nothing but love for you. I appreciate you, man. It's always love from my end, man. Hey, EJ, though, man, we'll talk, bro. All right, my boy, take it easy. Yeah. All right.